This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us for the next hour where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome to the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan England, and I am here with my co-host, Jeremy McLiver. Welcome back, Jeremy. Hey, ready to get going? Yeah, today we're joined by a very special guest, Alan Plunkett. Uh, Alan loves helping people grow in their careers. It's always been his goal to stay connected with the best and brightest, help them grow their careers and their own network. When he worked at PetSmart, he enjoyed employing people and watching them develop into managers and directors. And as the owner of Phoenix staff, he simply wants to build a respected firm where his employees, clients, and candidates feel they are being listened to. Alan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate the invitation. So you've got a really unique background for our listeners. And I I really want to touch on that because your focus is actually working with white collar job seekers and helping them get placed with IT firms. Do I have that correct? You do. So that that's a lot different than what our listeners are going to be exposed to. So can you share with us some of the challenges, some of the things that you see going on in that industry uh, so that we can see how they relate? I've always told people that I feel like I am in uh, white collar clothes, but I'm a blue collar guy. So, uh, you know, certainly glad that that you and I found each other, Ryan, and and excited to be on blue collar culture. Um, It certainly fits me. uh, And I would say it's, you know, it's one of those things as I as I was talking to you the other day and as I talked to my clients, you know, everybody everybody talks about how to define culture and, you know, certainly within the technology industry and when we see what's coming out of Silicon Valley and everybody's trying to be, you know, Silicon Hills or Silicon Slopes or, you know, you look around the country, everybody's trying to mimic or mirror uh, what's happening there or what has happened there over, you know, a few decades. And you know, my advice always is to uh, is to be yourself and and define your culture by what you want it to be defined as versus trying to mimic, copy, or or replicate something that number one is probably near, if not completely impossible, to replicate, and two may not be true to yourself or true to your uh, interests, desires, or long term goal and strategy uh, as you build your company. So. Those are conversations that I have with people, be it employers or employees every day. So is culture really important to finding good people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's a very important thing. And it, it's funny because, you know, as, as the three of us, you know, attend different networking events and talk to a variety of people, I mean, you, you'll hear people, and I see it on LinkedIn all the time too, you'll, you'll hear people say that culture is a fable or culture is, culture is fake or you know, how do you really define culture? You know, I think, uh, I think as leaders, you know, all of us have, have recognized the fact that not only is culture a very real thing, uh, but you can have micro cultures within the broader scope of your organization. And unless you really help put that on some sort of rail or some sort of track and, and, uh, help to guide or help to, you know, lead your individual contributors or your people through whatever you're trying to accomplish as it relates to 
culture or outcomes or goal setting or process or anything like that, then it will define itself. So if you don't purposely or intently try to define it, there will be something that ends up defining it for you. And uh, I'd rather try to have some level of control over it than not, personally, anyway. So, Alan, you mentioned that, you know, you've seen people trying to be something that they're not, and you can, you, even at a, an event, you can tell what what's really going on in their culture. Can you give me some examples or give our audience some examples of Sometimes you've seen it where they were trying to be something that they weren't, what kind of results they were seeing? Yeah, I, I, I struggle maybe to come up with a very specific uh, recent example, but I can tell you, I, I would say the the broader sense I get, and and it's funny because I, I, I talk to a lot of HR people, I, I think all three of us talk to a lot of HR people all the time, and there's, you know, there's blind spots that all of us have, and there's blind spots that companies overall have. And I guess dealing with organizations that maybe have a lot of tenure on their team, let's say they have average tenure of of 10 plus years, and they're looking to bring in outside perspective, and they're saying, we really want to hire somebody or really want to hire a team of people that can come in and, and help break, you know, whatever this current problem is that we're having. We want them to come in and break it down for us. And and help us really understand how we can get over the hump. Maybe they're trying to grow revenue or maybe they're trying to open in a new market or you know, they're trying to launch a new product, whatever that goal is. They believe that by bringing in an outsider, uh, that's going to help you know, remove that clog that they have. And then they bring in that outsider or they bring in that team of outsiders and the recommendations are made and they're like, you know what, we kind of don't want to do that. So maybe we'll get advice from somebody else because that doesn't seem like the best advice. And and that happens all the time. I mean, you know, you, you bring in an outsider, you bring in somebody new to the team and you're saying, we'd rather you come in and, and help help us, uh, you know, solve this problem or, or again, launch this new product. And that's why you were hired. And, and that's why we were looking for your expertise. But often invariably what happens is that that person will get persuaded by the rest of the folks to fall in line and do what the rest of the team is doing versus that one individual being able to persuade or or convince others to follow, you know, that contrarian view or that new view or that new perspective that they bring to the table. And to me, that's just, you know, you have that defined culture. And unless you're willing to really break it down and say, this is a blind spot for us and, and we have to stop conforming or we have to stop convincing others to do it our way, we really need to, you know, think about this in a different way uh, in order to, you know, unclog the system. Uh, they're never going to get over that hump. And those are the kinds of things that I think are probably the most relevant, the most prevalent that I see, where it's just, you know, it's a persistent, uh, ongoing blind spot that, that people aren't aware of that, that stunts their growth or limits their ability to get past whatever, whatever it is they're trying to get past. So, Alan, that's a interesting perspective coming from someone who owns a staffing agency. Because what I heard you say in there, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that culture is really important, but a, there's a lot of resistance into becoming intentional about it. Is that accurate? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I think it's human nature to think we want one thing, but but really at the end of the day, we've, we've determined that the way we're doing things right now is is, is better. Sure. We're, we're creatures of habit. 
So a lot of our listeners, they're, they've probably got some sort of experience with a staffing agency. And a lot of the people that I speak with, they don't have good things to say about staffing agencies. <laughs> so Sounds about right. Uh, so in your experience, uh, how involved should the agency be or how involved do you get when talking to people about the you know companies about the right fit and the right culture and those kinds of things? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I would say we oftentimes probably get too involved. Um, we, we have had occasion, and I, I used two very similar scenarios that had two completely different outcomes to, to describe this. We had one situation in one of our offices. We operate in Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Austin, Texas. And in one of our offices, we had a situation where a candidate who we put to work wanted to resign. Uh, we had the same situation almost around the exact same time in another one of our locations. Candidate that we put to work wanted to resign. Now, anytime that happens, you have a handful of choices. The choice that we always take is, look, we appreciate that you called us. We would love to work with you again, but this is what you need to do in order for anyone to make that happen on our team. You need to go to your boss, who is the person likely that we put you to work with, and you need to tell them why you want to leave, that you want to leave, that you're interested in making a move, and that you want to call us to have us help you make that move. Now, what that's going to do is that's going to start a series of dominoes that are going to fall. Number one, you're not going to get fired as a result of that. In very, you know, I, I think a lot of people assume that if they say, I'm thinking about quitting, that they're going to get fired. And I've literally never seen that happen in 21 years of doing this. I've literally never seen that happen. So I think that's a that's a false sense of I'm going to get fired if I tell people I'm going to quit. But when they go to their boss and they say, look, I'm looking to leave, typically the boss will say, what could I do to create an environment by which you want to stay if they're worth keeping? Or they may say, okay, what can we do to help transition? Or can I introduce you to people? You know, there's some pie in the sky things that I believe that don't always happen. Um, but one thing I know has never happened in my 21 years is, is the person hasn't been walked out and told to not return. Mm. Um, they're just outing themselves and they're saying, look, I'm, I'm unhappy and I'd rather you know about it than for me to just talk at the water cooler and let other people know I'm unhappy. Usually that lifts a great cloud. So in, in the one scenario, the person talked to their boss, their boss called me and said, what are you doing? And I said, look, I'm just trying to get a conversation going. Conversation happened, 90 days went by, they tried to resolve it, they weren't able to resolve it. The boss called me and said, look, I don't think we're gonna be able to solve it, he's great, I'll give him a great recommendation, please work with him, help him transition to somewhere else. And we did. Scenario two, the person did not have that conversation, and I said, okay, well, we can't work with you. Uh, he ended up getting an offer from another company, he resigned, and then he got a counter offer. Now, in that scenario, when he resigned, I called the boss and I said, look, just so you know, they reached out to us. We decided not to work with them. I didn't call you because they were not comfortable with me calling you, but I knew that was happening and I wanted to make you aware of that fact. What that did was that started a whole different conversation. Then they got together as a collective and they said, look, we need to make sure that people are comfortable coming to us. We need to make sure that our team of employees is, is comfortable coming to us when they want to quit rather than 
us being the situation where we're now having to counter offer people. We'd rather know in advance so that we can figure out how to fix what's broken rather than throw money at a problem. Two very similar situations on the front end, two very different outcomes, but again, the result of having conversations that a lot of people are uncomfortable having. And I love both those examples. One of the things Jeremy and I talk a lot about is being open and honest and, and just having good, real conversation with your team, letting them know that it's okay to come and talk to you. Uh, as, as someone who does placements a lot, is that something realistic? Is that something that you feel companies can do on their own or do they need someone like you or someone like one of those outside experts you talked about earlier to really make that happen? No, I, I think it's a combination. You know, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of folks in leadership who are very uncomfortable with those kinds of conversations. And there certainly are a lot of employees who are uncomfortable with those conversations. And again, you know, I, I may live in a utopia where these conversations happen and, and people can dislodge what's slowing them down. Um, I know that. I know, you know, I, I, can, I can sometimes be an idealist and not a realist. And there's a lot of people, you know, who are, are working, you know, in, in jobs that are hourly jobs and, and jobs where maybe there's an abundance of available talent. And if they were to have conversations like this, maybe they would have an outcome that's different than what I've described. And in those situations, I would say it's probably best to stutter step your way through it rather than go directly to your boss or your boss's boss or, you know, the owner of the company. But it is good to, at the very least, and I, I kind of started this way, if you are hell-bent on, on resigning and you say, look, I need to resign this position and go somewhere else, at the very least, make your exit interview worthwhile. At the very least, don't accept a counteroffer because if you've, if you've determined that this is not where you should be and you go find another job and then you go and resign, during that exit interview, if you have one or request one if you don't, air all the dirty laundry. Say everything that you need to say. Get it all off your chest because you are trying to help those left behind. It's like camping. I don't know if you guys camp or not, but you always try to leave your campsite better than you found it. And that to me is the way to exit an organization. So if you're in that position where I need to exit, but I'm not willing to have the conversation that Alan just said I should have, then resign and then have that conversation and say, look, these are things that I don't think this company is aware are problems. And this is why I'm leaving this organization. And this is what you could do to make it better for those I'm leaving behind. So that I think there's, is worthwhile. Yeah, I, I think there's some great stuff in there. If our listeners are having any problems with turnover or employees leaving, whether or not they're having the conversation, uh, some great lessons in there just about being open and honest. And I, I like how you said, just kind of stumble through that conversation, just learn how to do it, learn how to get comfortable with it. Most people today are really struggling to find good people. And I know that you have a unique way of helping companies do that, being that you're a staffing agency. Uh, but what are this, some of the things that you're seeing out there? What are some of the ways that people can, that companies can go find good people, ultimately keep them, but how do they find them? Like, how do they get started with that process? Yeah, I think, and, and 
you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot, Ryan, is is the way in which you advertise your jobs. You know, I think uh, I think people miss the target when they describe their company as, you know, we've got an amazing culture. We've got ping pong tables. We have free food every Friday. You can wear shorts to work. You know, all those things are, they don't define a culture. You know, what defines a culture is your ability to retain people, your ability to hire and retain good people, productive people, people that are helping you drive towards your business goals and their own personal goals. And I've had experiences very recently where I've had people on my team who, you know, are just not that. And I, I want desperately for them to find what makes them tick and, and find an opportunity that would make them happier uh, rather than, you know, have some sort of shallow or vapid kind of experience here. Go find what you're looking for elsewhere because you, you certainly aren't finding it here. Um, but I, I think it all starts on the very front end. It all starts, in my personal opinion, with a job description. You know, and if, if you say, look, we're not like other staffing agencies, we are going to have conversations that, that challenge you. We are going to have you talk to your, your coworkers and, and let them know that you didn't appreciate the fact that they called a candidate that you had just called a week, a week before. And we don't have ownership of people. We are very collaborative. If you're looking for an environment that's metrics-based and cutthroat and, you know, we're all in this to, you know, make money on every single person that we put to work, this is the wrong place for you. You know, we are going to put people to work that we don't make money on. And it's just because it's, it's part of what we do in our role of guiding and advising, helping coach people through their career moves we may not make money on every single person and you need to be okay with that, but that's not an environment for everyone. And I'd rather put it in my job description than have somebody come in here and say, well, wait a minute. I didn't know this was the case. Well, it's right there. It's right there in black and white. And we had a conversation about it and we actually asked you a few questions during the interview about it. Um, sure. I think if so, you put that on the table, it's better. A lot of our listeners are going to be business owners who they're the ones writing the job descriptions. Maybe they've got someone in HR who uh, really wants to stick with the very traditional job description, doesn't want to put all of that, uh, what I call expectation setting inside of the job description. What are some practical tips you have for helping them either overcome a block with HR or being creative enough to do that themselves? What are some th things that you could give our listeners so that they could go add those types of things to their job description? So I, I would say the number one thing that I find when I talk to people about the job description, the number one thing that I'm always surprised by is I, I will ask them who is in this role today and have they read the job description? And a lot of times they say, no, they haven't. I would say 80 plus percent of the time they would say, no, you know, Ted has not read this job description. And I'm like, well, if Ted is the example, of who you want to hire again. Like you want more Ted's on your team. Not only have Ted read the job description, but have someone shadow Ted and write down everything he's doing for the next couple of weeks to make sure that that job description fits what Ted does. Um, because if that job description was written and it attracted Ted, it, it may have morphed into something completely different now that he's 
doing it. And we need to know what those differences are because it's no longer relevant and it's no longer the right bait to throw into the water to catch the fish that you're looking for. So number one is who's performing well and who do you want to replicate? Uh, and then number two is really having Ted involved in, you know, what are some things that you're doing that aren't in this job description or what are some things that are in this job description that you have never done since you've been here? Great points. And it's, it's, it's fun to hear it from what, most people think white collar, um, but you know, like you said, it's really so much of it that is blue collar. What I find is a lot of times people are afraid to be that open and honest because they one of two things: one, they're not exactly sure they define exactly what they want, or the other is they just can't imagine that anybody would want anything different. And so sometimes if they're very hard charging. Um, numbers metrics based, which is not what you just described, they think that everybody's that way, and that's what, of course, that's what every employee is going to want. And so they feel like, well, why should I bother with that? Well, others are more like what you just described that you guys are, and they're like, well, isn't this how we really take care of our customer? And so I've, it, it's really cool to get to see different leadership teams function in that way and really get clear on. No, this is the kind of employee I want, and it's not everybody out there. And it's just like when you um, in marketing, where if you get really specific on who you're after, you seem to find more opportunities than when you were just shotgunning the whole market. And so, it's really exciting hearing what you're saying from from that that perspective because of the fears that they have, just exposing, hey, this is who we are is what we want and you're either going to fit it or not yep that's very that's, that's a much more succinct way of saying everything i just said <laughs> jerry's I like good at description that. better <laughs> jerry's good at that and, and it's being recorded so we'll be able to share that with people i had a another question about um, finding people you know this idea of being able to really pinpoint who we are looking for and attracting the right kind of people and that's a very broad definition of what the right people are but let's say that they get this job description all cleaned up and they've talked to their team and they all buy in yeah that's exactly why i'm here this is accurate what do they do next because i hear a lot from people craigslist doesn't work anymore <laughs> i can't find good people on craigslist indeed only sends me garbage like, what do we do next to get out there and find some good people? Sure. Well, I think it's 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 like anything else. I mean, you, you've got to uh, you've got to enlist the help of every single person, every single member of your team to talk about it. You know, it's uh, it's 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 like uh, I serve on the board of a, a nonprofit here in Phoenix called New Pathways for Youth, and we're constantly talking about how can we do a better job of fundraising. And to me, fundraising is exactly like hiring. You have to communicate how excited you are. I mean, you know, it, it, I don't know if you guys are movie watchers, but when you go see a great movie, you can't tell enough people how great that movie was. And you're talking about that movie and you're telling people about that movie. And, hey, did you see that movie? And, Man, that movie is so good. You know, it's going to win an Oscar or that actor is going to win an Oscar or whatever. But when you're hiring people, it's, it's like, you know, just go ahead and post it. Let's see what happens. And, and some, sometimes your team in its entirety doesn't even know that you're looking to hire somebody. 
sometimes your your you know three members of your team may know out of 200. Um, if everyone knows and you get everyone talking about it, just like they talk about the movie they saw last Friday night, your chances of being able to get traction, your chances of being able to get more people looking at that job go up exponentially. Um, and you don't have to pay <laughs> to get people to talk about it. You know, does that help? Is that an incentive? Absolutely. But I've had as many people tell me, look, I'm doing this because I want to help you and I want to help that person. I'm not doing this because you're going to write me a check for $200. Um, so oftentimes it's, it's counterintuitive to say if, if you tie money to it, people are less inclined to help you because they feel icky. You know, they're like, I'm going to refer my friend because I want my friend to work right alongside me. I'm not going to refer my friend because I want a hundred bucks. Now, a lot of times people want the hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> sure. So, you know, don't, don't remove it and, and think that you're going to be okay. But, you know, it's not, it's not the end all be all of incentives. It's more about, do we have an organization that is built around, I would really like my friends to work here too, because it's such a great place to be. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, I use the, I use the analogy of fishing a lot in, in recruiting. It's just, it's trying to cast as many lines in the water as you can and using as much different bait as you can. So does Craigslist work? Sometimes. Does Indeed work every now and then? Does LinkedIn work? Sure, but not all the time. You know, it's, they're all different platforms or all different formats, you know, reaching out to the university system, reaching out to the community college system, reaching out to other employers uh, who do what you do is also a very unique approach. I mean, I, I tell people who are looking, like, let's say they're looking for a job as a, I don't know, a field technician, okay? So you're hiring, you're trying to hire 25 field technicians, and you've got a competitor, even in your own town, who hires a whole bunch of field technicians as well. If you were to reach out to them and say, hey, look, I know you guys hire a lot of our people and we hire a lot of yours. It just happens. What if we were to, you know, pair up with one another and when you guys go through a hiring spree and say you get 100 applicants and you hire 50, could you send us the resumes of those people that you don't look at or those people that you didn't get to or those people that you decided not to hire for one reason or another? And we'll do the same. We'll reciprocate. We'll help mm -hmm. you as well. I think that's an often overlooked pool of talent that not only helps, you know, both ships rise at the same time, but, you know, if you're in an industry like mine where there's enough business to go around, what's the harm? You know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to employ people and trying to grow your own business. So what's the harm in, in sharing back and forth? Collaboration. I love that. That is, that is great. So you gave a lot of great tips on what to do. And I, I just, I love it. Get as many lines in the water as possible. Don't, just put all your eggs into Indeed or Craigslist or even employee referrals. Like that's just one of the tools. Um, yep. what, are, what are some things that you would say don't ever do when looking for good people? Like what are the things that people need to stop doing that they're doing today or things that they should stay away from that might be a fad or something that, you know, other people are testing out but doesn't really work? Stop going just one track. So like we said, get as many lines in the water as you can. So don't, don't what we in our industry call post and pray. 
Um, you know, don't don't just post a job out there and just stare at your inbox waiting for a flood of candidates to come in. Um, don't uh, don't lie in your job description. Don't inflate, you know, who you are or how great the company is or anything like that. Um, don't cut and paste somebody else's job description. That never happens. Uh, don't <laughs> ever. No, what you're ever. talking about never. <laughs> Um, don't use a job posting from 10 years ago. You know, we see that all the time, literally all the time, uh, nope. you know, craft something new. And, and I would say, number one, I should have started with this. Don't not follow up with people. You know, mm. I would say the number one way to, uh, kill your ability to hire people is by posting a lot of jobs and never getting back to the people who applied to those jobs. Um, you're just going to be seen as a troll. You know, you're, you're constantly yeah. posting jobs, but never getting back to people. I mean, that's, that's a surefire way to, to alienate and, and get people to say, I would, why would I want to work for you? You know, yeah. you, you either didn't get back to me after I interviewed, you didn't get back to me after I applied, you didn't get back to me after I talked to your internal recruiter or whatever. Um, that's a surefire way to, to end up dead in the water. It's funny. There's some irony in that because I hear from employers all the time, job seekers, they apply and then they don't return my calls or they no show me on interviews. And I hear all this. And then when we flip it, we hear from job seekers, the employers never get back to me. They don't tell me what the next step is. And so like both sides are feeling the same pain in that. And I, I do a lot of research into employee experience and it's just how do you get people engaged during the recruiting process? And it's something like 70% of job seekers never hear from the employer for a job they apply on. It's insane. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a crazy high number. <laughs> and you could stand out a ton just by replying to somebody and saying, hey, thanks for applying. We got your application. We'll, yep. we'll be in touch. And then actually, like you said, follow through and be in touch with them. So for a lot of growing companies, one of the big challenges is finding the time to do this. Uh, they are already short on people. Uh, typically, the leaders are getting involved in the business in ways they shouldn't because they're just short on staff. So what are some ways or what are some techniques that you've seen that people could do these things and find the time to do them without just saying, hey, just make the time because it's easier said than done. <laughs> what are some simple ways they sure. can actually make sure they follow up and keep track of all these applicants and, uh, you know, create that great experience for them. Sure. Well, one thing we do, I mean, we, we, we try to do this and, uh, you know, I, I would say we're, we're decently successful at it is, you know, if, if we post, let's say we post a help desk job or a desktop support job, uh, we could get upwards of 200 candidates for that, uh, you know, for that role. Yikes. Uh, applying, you know, and if we post five of those or we post, you know, 10 of those, I mean, the, the numbers just go crazy. Um, so getting back to each and every one of those has to involve some form of automation because we just we don't have time and, and there's no way to create time. So what I tell my team is let's automate uh, a response. Let's say we received it. Let them know at least their application was received. And please, if you don't hear from us within the next 72 hours or whatever time frame we set, uh, reach back out to us. 
So I like to assign things to that person because to your point, there are people who just blindly apply, forget they applied. And even if you send that email, they don't get back to you within that 72 hours. So just by nature of sending that and, and putting a task on them, you're filtering down to a quantity that you can then manage. Because let's say we get 200 applicants, we send that email to 200 people, as we're going through filtering ourselves and saying, okay, of these 200, these 68 are really well qualified for what we're looking for. So let's start calling those 68 or emailing them something a little bit different than what we first emailed them. And then the others are receiving that email of get back to us within 72 hours. A majority of them don't, you know, a majority of them are moving on and saying, okay, that was automated. I'm not going to deal with that. So they don't come back to us anyway. So there's a, there's a filtering process happening as a result of, you know, that automation. And as much as I don't like automation uh, as being the answer, it has to be a part of the answer. You know, you still need human involvement, but you have to complement it. Well, and I think what some form I think what you just described. I mean, we don't even need to invest in automation tools. Uh, we can we can just set up a template inside of Outlook and and email back to those people and let them know. Um, but I love what you said about putting the onus on the applicant. Uh, make them take the next step if they're really interested. I think one of the biggest challenges employers deal with is the fact that job boards are really meant to be employee-centric. They support the employee. So it's really easy for me to log into Indeed, check off 20 jobs and apply for all of them and forget that I even applied for, with you. So putting that onus back on the applicant is... Is, is a really great way to just weed out the people that aren't too serious. So I, we're almost, you know, we're getting close here on time and I wanna put you on the spot a little bit, Alan, because we talked a lot about job descriptions early on. And I know that for a lot of employers, that's a really big challenge, just getting that really effective job description. I mean, it's really an ad for their business. And um, you actually, help people with that. You actually have a different business that helps people with that, do you not? I do, yes. Let's, let's talk about that just for a little bit. I'd like you to introduce it and let people know how you take a different approach to job descriptions. Sure, so, uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it a little bit, Ryan. Um, I own a company called Jargon. It's J-A-R-G-O-N-E.io uh, with, with my very good friend, Anthony Garone. Um, and he and I started that as a platform for companies to submit a job description that they wanted to have rewritten or submit 200 job descriptions that they wanted to have rewritten. Uh, the goal of that organization is to, number one, employ people who I believe and we all believe are underemployed, um, which are writers. Uh, so giving writers an opportunity to do what they love to do and get compensated for it. Uh, it doesn't take a tremendous amount of time to write a creative job description. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, I think where the time is spent is really determining from either the individual who's currently in the role that you're hiring for or the manager, supervisor, or director of those individuals and really getting to the bottom of what it is that makes up that, that human being that they're looking to hire. 
um, and making sure to get all of those details into that job description or as many of them into that job description as you can to really have the right bait on your hook to, uh, to, to attract the right person. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a, a passion project for a long time. It's, uh, you know, it's something that I absolutely positively love doing. There is certainly uh, an aspect of it that could be automated. We could create some sort of AI around it. There's, there's organizations out there, companies out there that uh, look at it from a linguistic perspective and, you know, are we using the right language to attract the type of candidate or even the diversity sort of candidate that we're looking for in this job description? Sure. So there's a burgeoning, you know, growth in this sector. But right now it's just, uh, it's an exciting time to be in that world because it is so incredibly difficult to, to find people you know, and find the right people that you want to talk to and that, that align well with what you're trying to build and, and who you're trying to hire. And I say it all the time, the right job description will make you stand out because almost nobody puts effort there. So having a fun, exciting, engaging job description can really uh, do wonders in someone's recruiting. Yep. So Alan, I want to, I want to ask maybe um, this job description thing, I'm looking a lot of times internally at the company and we're looking at how are we communicating inside it, building this culture, creating this environment. How do you find, I mean, because every company is completely different. How do you find the best way to communicate what's really going on inside that culture in these job descriptions? Yeah, again, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had conversations with people uh, about their culture. And I've said, look, what are some things that you know exist, but you're not easily admitting exist? Those are things that we can find a way to describe. Maybe we need to soften them because you don't want to say, you know, especially when, you, when you're contending with Glassdoor. So let's say somebody has a horrible Glassdoor review. Let's say it, it you know, it talks about, um, the manufacturing department and it says you know if the if the manufacturing department leadership were to change uh this place would be a great organization because every department outside of this has just a great reputation you know you, you go to work in accounting or hr or finance or whatever great organizations and, and a lot of tenure and happy people but man you, you walk onto the manufacturing floor and people are just depressed and and, and want to leave um calling that out in some way you know we recognize i i say you have to fight fire with fire if you know your glass door reviews are bad um you call it out in the job description and say you may have read on glass door that our manufacturing department is not the greatest place to be here's what we're doing to rectify that situation these are some things that we've done in the last 30 60 90 days to address that problem um Glassdoor, you can't get beaten by Glassdoor if you face it head on. You can if you try to sweep it under the rug and say, well, you know, that's just sour grapes. Well, maybe it could be, but let me, let me show you the sour grapes and, and call it out myself and tell you what we're doing to try to fix it. Uh, I love that. It's, uh, it's important. Going, I love that going completely vulnerable, completely. Uh, we've been using the term calling out the ugly. Like it's already there. Just call it out. Get real with it. And it's amazing. I mean, how much when you, you call out, hey, our glass stores, you know, right now looks bad. Here's what we're doing. 
how much it takes the pressure out of the whole conversation. And I mean, I've seen it when, you know, we talked earlier about having those tough conversations with the boss. I found that once the first pen is thrown at the balloon, it's like, boom, all the pressure is gone, it's popped. And now we just have a real conversation. We can really get to the bottom of it. And so it's really interesting hearing it in a job description because and we're, when we're looking for candidates, I can see that exact same thing where let's get real. This is where we're at. And people can recognize that and they get bought into a real organization because no company out there is perfect. And so one that's confident enough to say, hey, we don't have it perfect. And here's why we're striving for it is very impressive and unique in this day and age. Yeah, I agree. And it's, you know, make it part of your interview process as well. You get somebody on the phone and you say, hey, look, I don't know if you noticed that, but I want to talk about it briefly. Um, because you, you get an opportunity to see people's reaction. You know, are they willing to go there with you? Are they willing to have that kind of candor uh, in their own conversation and say, look, I appreciate you telling me that. And I've been in organizations like that before. And, you know, I'm not I'm not overjoyed about the fact that it exists here, but I am willing to join and help you solve it. Or, you know, it doesn't really scare me, you know, and, and I appreciate you sharing it with me. And what can I do to help? You know, you'd be surprised when you uh, are vulnerable, how how other people react to it. And again, I think it's oft overlooked. It's every it's every time, you know, we all we all love when other people are vulnerable, uh, but we all hate to do it. Um, at least I do. But Every time you do it and you're, they rush to your rescue versus versus attack you and you get so much more out of it, so. Yeah, well, hey, we're at time and Alan, I can't believe that uh, we're already at time. I've really enjoyed today's conversation with you and uh, some great advice and some great tips for our listeners. As far as Phoenix staffing goes, do you, uh, do work all over the country, or is it just in Arizona? So we uh, we're in Vegas, Austin, and Phoenix. Um, okay. Though though we do have okay. some customers that bring us outside of those markets, for sure. Okay. So if if some of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, either for staffing, or uh, I think a really exciting service is the job descriptions. How do they do that? So yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty easily reached. Uh, I am all over LinkedIn, probably too much so. Um, so I, you know, just Alan Plunkett on LinkedIn and, uh, phoenixstaff.com or jargon.io, uh, are ways to, uh, ways to get plugged in and, and connect with me. But, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll, there'll be links on, on this podcast as well. And, you know, I'm just uh, super honored to be on this and, and really appreciate the conversation, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much. Uh, really enjoyed it. And we'll make sure that we get those links out to everybody. So that's it for today. This has been absolutely great. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it very much, guys. Well, that's it for today's episode. We will catch you guys next time. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.